Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you're feeling weak today, I want you to do something. If you're not feeling weak today, I still want you to do it. Look at your neighbor. Now, ain't they funny looking? The joy of the Lord is your strength. See, you can look at somebody and just say, man, they're funny looking. And, and begin that process of joy. It's, you know, it's not to put them down or anything, but still, yeah, that's the response of God when your joy gets turned on. It's to strengthen you. In Psalm 16, it says that in His presence is fullness of joy. It's time to have joy today. It's time to have joy. See, you don't go to church just to have joy. You can have joy anywhere, anytime, because in his presence. And let me tell you something. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if you have the Holy, if you're saved, you got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. If you know Jesus, you got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And that means that his presence in you is fullness of joy. There's no need to get weighted down by the things of life. And let them rule in your life. Have that old lemon-eating, sourpuss look on your face. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Say that. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In His presence is fullness of joy. You're full of it. You're full of it. Look at your funny-looking neighbor and say, you're full of it. Amen. Amen. See the smile on your face is giving you strength, and the smile on your face is giving them strength. As funny looking as you are, you're strengthening somebody's life. Amen. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, God, that in your presence is fullness of joy. Thank you, that God, that in, in your presence we can find goodness, mercy, love, forgiveness, and joy. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you sit down, how powerful joy is. You all know who Joel Osteen is, don't you? I I assume everybody knows who Joel is. His mama, back in the 80s, I believe, was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. They told her she was going to die. She chose joy. She chose joy. Joel said that he would come home and his mom would be watching Looney Tunes, cartoons on TV, Bugs Bunny, and laughing because she knew that the joy of the Lord was her strength, that laughter does good like a medicine. So go watch some cartoons or something today. Stay in joy. Don't let, don't let weakness, don't let pain, don't let stuff get you down. Dodie Osteen is still alive today, 30, 40 years later, because she had joy. Amen. The joy of the Lord is your strength.
Turn around and tell somebody hello. Tell them you love them. to get you in a good mood. I had to get you in a good mood because I need to talk about something real quick. This is the first Sunday of the month. And when the first Sunday of the month hits, we talk about offering. We talk about tithes and offerings. And you know, we've, in, in this church, there's been probably a handful of times in 21 years, almost 21 years that we have taken up an offering you know, past the plate, past the hat, past the bucket or whatever. We just have never been led to do that. And today, I'm not going to start that. <laughs> but at the first of the month, we like to pray over, we trust that God speaks to you and tells you where to give of your finances, uh, tithes and offerings and so those things, so to speak. Um, I, I believe that in, when, when it says in Malachi, it talks about the tithes and offerings, and it says to bring all your, tithe, your, your, your tithes to the storehouse, some people preach that that is the local church. I don't believe that. I believe that it's ministry across the board because I have friends. We, we were a traveling ministry at one time, and if all the money went just to the local church, traveling ministers, evangelists, uh, people who, you know, prophets and things, people who, who travel in ministry wouldn't get a dime. So I, my deal is give where the God tells you to give. If he tells you to give here, be obedient. If he get, tells you to give somewhere else, be obedient. Amen. And so wherever you're given, wherever your heart is, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you, if you are partners with us in this ministry and you put your treasure, money, in this place, your heart is here. And so with that, um, I just, I just want to pray over your finances as you have been faithful to give, or, uh, if God's telling you to start giving, um, we've got a box in the back, um, uh, or you can get online and give, uh, they'll, they'll tell you more about that at the end of service. But, uh, with that, if you're, if you've been giving or you're a giver or God's telling you to give here, I want to pray over your finances real quick. So let's pray. Heavenly father, thank you so much for each and every person whose heart is with this ministry or any ministry out there, Father, as they open up their, their wallets, their checkbooks, their debit cards, and, and begin to give where you tell them to give by, by the way of tithes and offerings. Father, I thank you for the blessing, the windows of heaven that are opened into their life, and you would pour them out such a blessing that they wouldn't have room to contain it. So, Father, I pray that we would be people that you are blessing us so much because of our obedience. You're blessing us so much that we have to say, God, please just hold off a little bit. Um, you're, you're giving me too much here. Um, he'll say, I can't, you can't outgive me. So Father, I thank you so much for our people who tithe and give offerings. And we give you glory, honor, and praise for the prosperity in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You receive that? Yeah. All right, good deal. Well, you got your Bibles with you this morning? Okay, you got your iPhone with you or something like that? You got your, you got your app this morning, your Bible app? Um, anyways, uh, we're going 
we're going we're gonna to get into the Bible today. I, you know, I don't know what you come to church for, but we're going to get into the Bible. So how many of you feel like, especially over the last year, that we are pushing into some end times stuff more than ever before? How many of you feel like it's the last of the last days and we're, we're in it? We're, we're in it, right? Uh, that's three of you. The rest of you, good deal, I guess. I mean, if you don't feel like we're in the last, last days, I feel like that. I, I feel like that, that Jesus could come back anytime, but there's still some things that are going on, still some things that have got to come down the, the pike, so to speak. We're, we, are in, we are entering in the last days, amen? And for some, thinking about the last days, thinking about the end of time, people get scared. I mean, we read the book of Revelation. It's so, it's so crazy because we don't understand it. It gets scary. Yeah? I, I need you all to talk back a little bit. <laughs> Can I get a talk back? But we, we can get into that place where, where these times, the things that are going on in our world, the things that we're living in and seeing happen right before our very eyes, it's like the pages of Ezekiel and Daniel and, and Zechariah and Revelation and Matthew chapter, you know, um, what was it, Matthew 28 or something like that. Um, where Jesus talks about the end times, uh, the book of Thessalonians. I mean, we're seeing all of these things begin to unfold in front of our own eyes. And as we begin to see those things, I want you to understand that even if you're scared, even if you're in this big mystery of things, you don't know what's going on, you know, how this is all going to play out, and you're in wonder, I want you to know that God chose you for this time. He trusts you with these days. And, and in that, it can almost seem like the giants are everywhere. Not the New York Giants. They didn't even make the Super Bowl. So, so when, we, when we begin to, to think about God chose us for these times. And, and, and what, I'm, what I want to talk to you about today is that you have made the cut. By you living in these days and times, you're making the cut. You know, when, when, when there's tryouts for sports and you succeed to the next level, you made the cut. So that's, what I, that's, that's the title of my message today, is making the cut. Making the cut. It's got a little plate to it here in a minute. <laughs> so with that, like I said, we, it seems like giant, the giant, you know, giants are everywhere. Giant, we're facing giants in these last days. We're, we're, we're facing political giants. We're facing um, health giants or anti-health giants. We're, we're, we're facing all of these things and... God has chosen us. We've made the cut for this time. So I want to share a familiar story with you um, in the, from the Bible. And a lot of times when I'm training um, 
people to, to speak, uh, communicators to speak, I will tell them across the board, never assume that what you're talking about, everybody knows. Never assume that. But today I'm going to break my own rule. Because I believe if you've never even been in a church, you've never darkened the door of a church in your life, you know the story of David and Goliath. Because, I mean, people talk about that. I mean, the world talks about David and Goliath. And you know the concept of David and Goliath. So I'm going to talk about them today. If you've got your Bibles, go over to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel is right before 2 Samuel. So that ought to tell you where it's at. Um, in, in, the, uh, in the opening of 1 Samuel chapter 17, in, in the opening verses, it talks about how Israel is going to war with the Philistines. Now, as you read the Old Testament, Israel's always at war with the Philistines. They're always bickering back and forth. And so they, they got into a, to a, um, a match, a shouting match, I guess. And they gathered on two sides of a valley. So the Philistines are on one side, the Israelites are on the, on the other side, and they're all looking to come into the valley and fight. Fight for the land, fight for kingdom, fight for whatever they're fighting for. They're mad at each other and they're going to fight. But the Philistines have a secret weapon. And it's a man. And the, and the Bible calls him a champion. It's, it's their champion. The, 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 the word for champion is a celebrated man of reputation. His name is Goliath from the town of Gath. And Goliath is, a, is a, considered to be a giant. And so um, David's, or not, not David, but the Philistines uh, send out Goliath and they, they describe, the opening verses describe Goliath. So let's, let's look at this real quick. 1 Samuel chapter 17, I'm going to go to verse 4. And it says, And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. That's about nine and a half or ten foot. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, which is like chain mail. And the weight of the coat was about 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had had bronze, he had on bronze armor on his legs and bronze, a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and the shield and a shield bearer went before him. Let's stop right there because there's, there's a few keys here about Goliath that we need to know. The first key about Goliath that we need to know is that his height was six cubits in a span. So there's a, there's a key there, it's the number six. Six cubits in a span. Six is the number of man. It's not a spiritual number. It's the number of man in, in numerology, in biblical numerology. But it says his height was six cubits in a span. His spearhead weighed 600 shekels. 
And when you count the armor that he had on, including his shield bearer, there are six pieces of armor. Six, six, six. Goliath is a symbol of the Antichrist. So this champion is Antichrist. These are the things that we are dealing with in the last days. We're dealing with Antichrist things. As things unfold before you, we're dealing with men. We're dealing with people that are carrying an Antichrist spirit. That's what we have to face. That's what we have to make the cut into to be able to face those things with all confidence. And so this Antichrist spirit on this man, this giant, stands in the valley. He comes down out of the Philistines, walks down into the valley, looks up at the armies of Israel, and they're all standing there, all thousands and thousands of them. And he stands there, and he begins to speak to the armies of Israel. And he challenges them. He says, we can make this whole war easy. My guys, if, if, if you will send me one person to fight with me, Goliath is saying, if you send me one person, and if they win, we'll be your servants. If they beat me, if they kill me, we'll be your servants. And if, we, if I kill him, you'll be our servants. Easy deal. Mano a mano. One man. Face to face. Send him to me. And when he said that, the, the valley that they were in, the, the valley and the sides of the mountains that they were in was, is called Soko. The word Soko means bushy place. Had bushes everywhere. When he said that, all of the army of Israel jumped behind bushes and hid hid from, from Goliath. One man, because he spoke into them and said, if you can beat me, he's a champion. If you can beat me, we'll be your servants. He was calling out King Saul because when King Saul, the king of, of, um, of Israel, when he was chosen to be king, the Bible says that he was head and shoulders above everybody else. So so that he was, he was Israel's giant, so to speak. He was about seven foot tall. And so Goliath is calling out the king. He's saying, let's, let's, let's fight. Let's fight. Hey, Amen, you got me? Winner take all. Saul and his army jump behind the bushes. And it says that Saul and his army were dismayed and greatly afraid. The word dismayed means to be shattered. He was devastated. They were traumatized. Israel's army was traumatized. And Goliath did this every day for 40 days, twice a day. For 40 days. They've been there for 40 days, almost six weeks. They've been in this place. And in the morning, all of the Israelites get all worked up into a frenzy. Today, we're going to face this. And Goliath comes out and says something. They all run and jump behind the bushes. And then in the evening, they're ready again. They got their confidence up. Goliath comes out. They run and jump behind the bushes. 40 to every day for 40 days. 
this is, this is crazy. This is, this is not right, right? Amen. Is there joy in this place? I feel like people are kind of laughing. That's good. Go ahead, laugh. It's medicine. Meanwhile, back in Bethlehem, a young man comes in from feeding his uh, sheep for the morning, sits down to have his cocoa puffs. He's eating his, his cocoa puffs at the table, and his dad comes in. He's 17 years old. His name is David. His dad comes in and says, son, I need you to do something. I got some bread and cheese that I would like for you to take to your brothers who are in the battle. They need grilled cheese sandwiches, so I need, to, I, I need you to get the grilled cheese, the makings for the grilled cheese to the boys. You can read it. It says that. Not, not grilled cheese, but bread, bread and cheese. So he says, I need you to check on your brothers, give them this food, and um, see how the battle's going. Now, 17-year-old boy, 17-year-old boy, I mean, like 17 today would be like go home, turn on Netflix, and watch Braveheart. (laughs) They like a good war. So since he didn't have Netflix, he got to go do the real thing. He was on it. He's like, give me the stuff. I am headed to the battle. I've got to see this happening. I got to see how, I got to see some blood and guts. I want to see this with my own eyes. So he gathers all this stuff. He takes off for the battlefield. He's excited for the war. And as he gets out there, he arrives to the battle site, runs all day long. And he gets there and everything's quiet. No battle is taken. There's no blood on the ground. And I'm sure he's going, these guys have been gone for a month and a half. Haven't they started anything yet? So he runs into the, into the place and and where's, where all the soldiers are, and he finds his brothers, and he's talking to his brothers. And while he's talking with them, all of a sudden, this giant named Goliath comes out into the valley and begins to rail on the God of Israel and the army of Israel. And he heard that booming voice of Goliath, and David is startled. Not by the voice of Goliath, but from the sound of the Israelite army, their armor shaking and jumping behind bushes. David's standing there and all these people just running from Goliath's voice. And David is standing there going, what is going on? And his brothers are going, get down. Get down. David's like, what? Why do I need to get down? Bring it on. What are you guys doing? He said, what are you guys doing? And as Goliath laughs at, at God's army, David looks around at his brothers in their platoon and says, what is wrong with you? In verse 26 of 1 Samuel 7, uh, 17, I'm going to read this from the message translation. It says, 
David, who was talking to the men standing around him, asked, What's in it for the man that kills this Philistine and gets rid of this ugly blot on Israel's armor, uh, honor? Who does he think he is anyway? This uncircumcised Philistine is taunting the armies of God alive. He's standing there while everybody else is laying flat behind bushes and in their Frady holes. He's standing there going, what do I get? What, what does a person get who kills this sucker? What does a person get who kills this uncircumcised Philistine? Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, that your word would just free us into who you are. Free our confidence into who you are, Father. I thank you for your word today, and I thank you that it is a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So we know the end of the story. We know what happens. David goes down there. He, he kills Goliath. He takes his little sling and his five little rocks. And he goes down there in the valley. Goliath calls him a dog. I mean, don't call David a dog, for one. You're fixing to get it. He says, you, you, you know, Goliath calls out to, to the army and says, what, you're sending a boy to do a man's job? And that was the last thing that he said. Because David goes, that rock hits him between the eyes, lays him out one punch, you know. Starches him out is what I like to say. <laughs> and then David walks over, takes his own. I always wondered what happened to the shield bearer, man. He just dropped shield and run. <laughs> David takes Goliath's own sword out and cuts his head off. Picks up his head, bloody mess, eyes rolled back in it, you know. Big as a basketball, he picks up his head. And he's walking back through the Israelite camp and he shows them how to get ahead in life. I'm, I'm sure he, he had that head and was letting the blood drip all over him. This is it, boys. But that whole thing started with David standing there at his brothers. And he says, what does a man got to do to kill this sucker? Because he says this, David qualified Goliath. He qualified him. David qualified the enemy of the covenant of God by calling him an uncircumcised Philistine. David didn't call him a weak Philistine. He didn't call him an unskilled Philistine. He was a champion. Didn't call him an incapable Philistine. He called him an uncircumcised Philistine. David's relationship with God, his hope in God and his faith through God had defeated Goliath even before the fight because he qualified him 
as an uncircumcised Philistine. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you today. This is a precursor of how this is going to be today. I'm going to talk about some things that's going to probably make you laugh like a junior high kid. Because I'm going to talk about circumcision today. And it's, I'm not going to explain (laughs) circumcision today. I'm not going to get into the anatomy of things. If you don't know what circumcision is, I trust that you could Google that, not in church, but after church, and let it explain that to you. I, I talked about this when we first, I was like the first year of our church or something like that. I talked about it and um, a young lady or they, we didn't have kids church back then. So the kids were there and the young lady that gets up here, uh, Kelsey, who gets up here, she was just a little girl and she gets in the truck that night and goes, dad, what is circumcision? And her dad called me and says, you're going to explain to her. <laughs> so. I'm not going to explain, and you can send all of your emails to Pastor Mark at n3c.tv. He left, so I can say that. So I'm going to talk about some things today that may make you laugh like a 12-year-old kid. Boy, 12-year-old boy. So I'm I'm going to talk about some of those things. But see, David knew the Philistines were not of Israel. Israel had a law probably, uh, approximately a thousand years before David was born. In Genesis chapter 15, God made a covenant, and, and Pastor Lynette preached on this two weeks ago, but God made a covenant with a man named Abraham. Now, a covenant is a, a promise, a treaty, an alliance between two parties. And so God made a covenant with Abraham that um, he would be the father of many nations. Uh, now, this, what was wrong with this picture is that Abraham was 85 years old when God told him that he would be a father. His wife, Sarah, was 75 years old, and she was barren, and she was well past the age of being able to get pregnant. So God said, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to make you a father of many nations, and it's going to come through Sarah. And they're saying, okay. So 14 years later, in Genesis chapter 17, God reiterated his covenant with Abraham. Through a bunch of events that went on, God restated his covenant. And he says, "Um, this is what I want you to do, um, Abraham, at 99 years old. He says, I want you to circumcise yourself and your household. And he, I mean, these are grown men, old men. That takes a lot of faith. That's why Abraham, that is why Abraham is the father of our faith. It's because he believed God in that moment and obeyed what God told him to do. My, my. So, so, so Abe, Abraham implemented his own circumcision at 99 years old 
Abraham literally made the cut. From, from that moment on, God, God saw the, um, the trauma that it would cause an older man. And he said, here's what we're going to do from now on. From now on, the male will be circumcised at eight days old. I'm not going to make you go through this again. You get to do it to the kid. Okay? So... So, so Abe, Abe did it. A thousand years later, see, this became, the, this became the, the standard for Israel, that they would circumcise all male children at eight days old. To make the mark or the brand in their body that nobody would ever see unless it was an intimate time. And so... They implemented this. A thousand years later, after David was born, David was an Israelite, and he came onto the battlefield, and that covenant that, that was made, that covenant mark that was made on David's body, he believed in. He believed his covenant mark on his body, which no one saw, he had so much confidence in that that he looked across at this enemy of God and says, it doesn't matter how good or how skilled I am. What matters is that I have a covenant with God. God's got my back and he will not defeat this uncircumcised Philistine does not have a covenant with God and he will not defeat this army or me in this day. Because I'm wearing the brand. <laughs> David went out there. He didn't have to see Goliath's manhood to know that he was, that, that he didn't have a covenant. Goliath and the Philistines were against God. So it's obvious that they don't have a covenant with God. No covenant equals already defeated. Doesn't matter how skilled they are. It doesn't matter how skilled politics are in our day. It doesn't matter how skilled sickness and disease is in our day. We have a covenant with God and they have no covenant with God. Amen? Those giants don't have a covenant. Darren, you know it better than anybody. You beat this because you have a covenant. And COVID doesn't. And you beat it. You're beating it still. Show how to get ahead in life, man. Cut its head off. So for David, circumcision was not just a procedure or an obedience that his parents did. It was a brand. It was a symbol of the kingdom of God that he belonged to. But his own brothers, when he stood up and said, what does a man got to do to kill this guy? What, 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 what do I get? If I kill this guy, his own brother said, look, David, you're full of pride. You're full of arrogance. You're full of disrespect. But confident, he, he wasn't any of those things. He was confident in the brand and in the cut 
he was confident that he had made the cut. See, making the cut is the difference between victory and defeat. It's the, it's the, it's the difference between victory or defeat in difficult times and difficult circumstances. Circumcision makes the difference in the outcome of our circumstances. Man, there's question marks going up right now. I'm looking all over. It's like little question marks are coming up over people's heads. We'll get there. We'll answer your question. Hang on just a minute. Circumcision makes all the difference in the outcome of our circumstances. So this is where I want to do activation today. No, no, I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Because as soon as I see blood, I'm... Blood amongst other things, I just... I am so glad I'm not a rabbi. So for the Hebrew people, for the, for the Hebrew... Uh, for the Hebrew people from the times of Abraham all the way to today, 4,000 years, for the last 4,000 years, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, the Israel people, to some, circumcision was a law. To some, it's an obedience. To some, it's a right. And to some, it's a religious event. But what about us who are not Hebrew, who are not Jewish? who are not born of Israel. That was a major question that came up in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, all those who preached in the the regions outside of Israel to people, to the Gentiles, to the nations who were not Hebrews and not circumcised, and they would get saved, that became a question because... In the New Testament, you know when I do you know what I mean when I say Gentiles? Gentiles, uh, in, in the simplest form, a Gentile is anyone, any human that is not born of Jewish heritage. If you're not born of Jewish heritage, you are a Gentile. So, and this this question came up in the New Testament. So, if you would go over to Acts chapter 15, that's in the New Testament. And I want you to see some things here. In Acts chapter 15, it's approximately 20 years after Jesus was crucified and resurrected from the dead. And the New Testament, was, New Testament church was growing outside. See, the New Testament church got started in Jerusalem, in Israel, and then it began to go outside of the borders of Israel into the Gentile nations. And, and when, when the Gentiles would get saved, there was miraculous things happening in those churches, churches that... Uh, Philippi, churches at Corinth, churches at uh, Antioch, churches outside of Jerusalem, the Gentiles were getting saved and there were miracles, signs and wonders that were happening through them just because they received Jesus, just because they received the Holy Spirit. And, and so things, things were happening, churches were growing. But there was this group of Jewish men who came out of 
Jerusalem, the church at Jerusalem, called Judaizers. And they believed that Jesus was, was Lord. They believed in Jesus, but they intensely held true to their Old Testament law. They were the Jewish law of the Old Testament, the law of Moses. They held to that, but they believed that Jesus was the, uh, the Christ. They believed that he was the son of God. Amen? So they, they, they held true to their Old Testament laws, especially when it came to circumcision. And so they begin to take a legalistic stand on that very thing. And, and here in, in Acts chapter 15, look at, look at verse 1. And it says this, And certain men, from down, uh, certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren outside the borders of, of, of Israel, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of, of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So these men were preaching, give your heart to Jesus, just like we do today, right? You need to give your heart to Jesus, but if you're not circumcised, you have to get circumcised before you can get saved. You can believe in Jesus, but you're not saved. You've not done the deal until you've done the deal. So if you believe in Jesus, come on up to the front and we'll set it in stone for you. Yeah? These guys were saying that. And Paul and Barnabas, I, I love what it says there. It says that there was no small dissension or dispute. That's, that's a good King James way of saying they were PO'd. There was a major conflict and, re, and a revolt to that statement that they, if somebody couldn't be saved unless they were circumcised. The Passion Translation says that there was a fierce argument. The Apostle Paul was so disgusted with these people who taught these things. In Galatians chapter 5, he said, while you're doing your circumcisions, I hope that you miss and cut yourself off. Galatians chapter 5, go, go look at it. He says, I hope that you, yourself, you want to you hold the people to this standard. He was not happy about it. Is it uncomfortable? A little bit. So they all agreed to take the argument before the church leadership at Jerusalem, which included the Apostle Peter and the uh, uh, Pastor James of the church. Pastor James was Jesus' half-brother who led the church in Jerusalem, the Christian church. So they brought it before all the, the elders, and they came to the conclusion, as they talked about this with the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem, they came to a conclusion that Gentile salvation was justified by faith, not by the works of circumcision. So they said, no, that ain't how this is going to work. They're, they're justified by faith. It doesn't matter whether they've done the deed or not done the deed. They've got faith in their hearts. And, and the way that we know this is because when they believe in Jesus, the works of Jesus comes out and miracle signs and wonders happens whether they're circumcised or not. 
Amen? So they, they came to that conclusion. They drafted a letter and sent it to the churches, of the, the Gentile churches regarding these things. We're going to see what they say here in chapter 15, verse 24. This letter says, Since we have heard that some who went out from us tr- uh, have troubled you with words unsettling to your souls. I like that. It's unsettling. Absolutely, it's unsettling in here today. (laughs) Talking about these things. but Saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. Skip on down to verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. He said, these are the only things you've got to be worried about, Gentiles. Be considering these things, but circumcision is off the table. That's, if anybody tells you that, they're wrong. Amen. So as, as Gentiles... We're to be led by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Even in this day, as Gentiles, there's probably not very many people that I'm talking to today that are Jewish. But as Gentiles, we are to be led by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, not the burden of men. The burden of men is great difficulty. In other words, if God tells you or if the Holy Spirit tells you that you need to be cut, then cut. Man up. But if he doesn't tell you that, it ain't going to stop the Holy Spirit's work on the inside of you to do what God has called you to do. Amen. It is hot in here. So even for today, circumcision for non-Jewish males is is, is a medical procedure or it's non-existent. When we found out that we were having a boy, <laughs> nobody looked that way. I, t- I told him, I, I told him, I said, I, I want to tell this story, and, but I don't want you to be uncomfortable. He said, don't worry about it, Dad. All right. Here we go. When we found out that we were having a boy, the, the thing that we wanted more than anything is to follow the biblical rite of circumcision. So we, before our due date, we, for her due date, I was just running along for the ride. <clears throat> we called, we found a Jewish rabbi in Denver, uh, a moil. He, he, that's the person who does the cut, does the circumcision. So we, we found this guy. He was a super nice guy. We told him we were not Jewish and that uh, he said, is this going to be done as a, um, as a bris, which is the celebration, Jewish celebration, or are you going to do this as a medical procedure? I said, well, since we're not Jewish, we're doing it as a medical procedure, but we believe the word of God that God told Abraham that you would circumcise your males on the eighth day. He says, perfect. I can do that. I can help you. 
And he said, when you, del- when you guys deliver, call me back and we'll make the plan of you being here on the eighth day. So we did. We called him. We set up the, the, the appointment when Rhett was born. And we took him to, uh, to this man's office. This man, uh, Rabbi Fetter, had a jewelry store on the 16th Street Mall in Denver. So here we go down there before his opening hours. And we go into the jewelry store, go to the back room. And he has everything laid out. Okay, here's what I wasn't told. Because my wife made the phone call to schedule. And he told her how this was going to go. He said, this is the way it's going to happen. Is your husband (laughs) will hold the baby down. He'll hold his legs while this thing is happening. Did I mention that I don't like blood? Did I mention I don't like procedures? Anyways, she didn't tell me that until we get into the room. So I've got, I've got little baby Rhett. He's a little, little guy. I've got him on my shoulder. We're walking him around, stuff like that. He had eaten breakfast and all, and he's, he's, he was asleep. And I was holding him, and Rabbi Fetter brings out on the table, he puts this pillow out there. On one side, there's a lot of Jewish um, symbolism and stuff for their ceremonies. But he turned the pillow over. He said, since this is a medical procedure and you're Gentiles, this is what we're going to do. He says, okay, well, it's time to start. Lay the baby on the table. So I laid Rhett down on the pillow. Rabbi Fetter was standing over there. And he says, okay, Dad, now I can either do a rhinoplasty and you do the circumcision or you can spin him around. And, and we can do this right. I said, <clears throat> started to back off. And he says, no, you hold the legs. <laughs> Today it's real tremor, but then it was like anxiety. <laughs> so I reach across and the thing happens. And he cried. His first time, I, well, he didn't cry that much, did he? Because he, he cried more the night before getting his bath than he cried during the <laughs> ceremony. But he did start crying. So Rabbi Fetter, he, he bandaged and all that kind of stuff. And he picked him up and he says, now I'm going to carry your baby around a little bit because you're traumatized and mama's traumatized and the baby will pick up on that. So I'm going to calm him down. <laughs> so anyways, we, we had that, that done according to the Bible. Now, it wasn't that we did it because we were trying to uphold the law of Moses. We were just doing it in honor of God. And there is something so cool about an eighth-day circumcision because the baby's system is able to make blood coagulate and, and bleed very minimal. The day before, he would have bled a lot. The day after, he would have bled a lot. The eighth day, there's something about it that it is God stepping in to that procedure. It's so cool. It is so cool. See, circumcision was never meant to be what makes or breaks our relationship with God. It was never meant to be like that. It's the same as as going to church, as reading your Bible, as baptism. You can't have a better relationship with God because you do these things. It's, It's like this. 
We don't do those things to be right with God. But we do those things because we are right with God. It, It does nothing to get you in better relationship, but because of your relationship, it is better. Amen. You understand that? In Romans chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous, even before he, Abraham, was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith, not the work. Abraham became the father of many nations, became our father of faith by example. He made the cut. David had faith for the victory because he made the cut. Because his parents were obedient and he knew what that cut, that mark, that brand on his body, even though no one else saw it, he saw it, God saw it, and God honored it. So, how do we make the cut? How do we, how do we make the cut? What does this mean for us in this day and this time? I'm so glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, For when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Faith expressing itself in love. See, circumcision today is still a viable obedience for God's people. Neither faith in Jesus nor the New Testament eliminated circumcision. But both faith in Jesus and the New Testament made it even more intimate and unified. Because all of God's people, not just males, listen to me, all of God's people, not just males, but male and female can participate in a New Testament circumcision obedience. Romans chapter 2, verse 29 from the message translation says, it's the mark of God on your heart, not of a knife on your skin. It's the mark of God on your heart. See, when you ask Jesus to come into your life, come into your heart, there is a circumcision that is made to cut away the flesh. Cut away the flesh of your spirit, heart, your heart in in your spirit. Y'all get what I'm saying? Before we came to Jesus, there was a lust for the flesh. We like to satisfy ourselves. It was all about loving us before we came to Christ. But when we come to Christ, there is a cut that happens to our heart, male and female, that There is a circumcision in our heart that begins to happen that allows us to become intimate with God. 
And it's a, it's, a, it's a procedure that only you can see and only God can see, but is expressed by faith in love. Our love for God begins to come out. See, David knew that Goliath was uncircumcised Philistine because he was coming against God. But David knew that his covenant with God was for God. Same way with us. It comes out in the expression of love. Are you with me? So as Christians, when we go through difficult times, we go through difficult seasons, we go through difficult circumstances, it always reveals our humanity, the humanity of our flesh in our heart. Even though we asked Jesus to come into our heart, there was a circumcision that took place. But when you receive news, uh, a diagnosis of, of, of sickness in your life, it shows that there's still some flesh there that we need to circumcise again. When, when we get angry at the political things, there's still some flesh there that needs to be cut. Amen? Or we need to go back and look and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow this out in love. And to follow it out in love is to circumcise your heart. That's, see, in the Old Testament, when, when God had Abraham do this, it was to a part of his body that would produce the next generation. For us, it's in our heart that produces the next generation. And that's where the circumcision takes place. It's not about the body. It's not about the knife on our skin. It is about the knife to our heart. So God in the Bible has given us two knives to make the cut. Two knives to make the cut of our humanity, those fleshy pieces of our heart that do not belong there anymore. So I'm going to give those two to you. Number one, the first knife he gave us is the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The message translation there compares it to a surgeon's scalpel. A surge, that the word of God is like a surgeon's scalpel. So when we see those things, when we get a diagnosis, <clears throat> when we go through difficult circumstances, it's when we go back to the word of God that we find the knife that takes care of those things. When we're worried and in fear, we go to the word of God that says the joy of the Lord is your strength. That the, in his presence is fullness of joy. That laughter is good like a medicine. We find those knives that begin to cut away that fleshy part of fear, that fleshy part of trauma. And we can throw those things away because God has given us his sword, his scalpel of the word of God to cut away. And then I found another knife that is so cool because we do that at the beginning of every service here at Cowboy Church. And it's called worship. Another knife is called worship. 
Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 says this, For we are the circumcision who worship God in, in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. We are the circumcision when we worship God in the spirit. It is a knife. When we begin to worship, when we begin to lift, when we begin to raise a hallelujah, when we begin to, to sing and to worship and to tell God how glorious he is, how wonderful he is, it begins to cut away those things that have tried to come in and tell us that we're going to be defeated. No, I'm not going to be defeated. I'm going to show you how I get ahead in life. I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to raise my, my, my voice and I am going to worship God because it's going to cut away. It is the circumcision of heart. And it goes not just for males, but males and females. It is a unified process. Going back to David. David was confident in his covenant relationship with God, not himself. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is he? What is a man going to get to kill him? You know what they told him? They said, you're going to get the king's daughter. Oh, the 17-year-old boy. War and the foxy chick. I get to Braveheart and a date. You get, you get the king's daughter. You get to marry the king's daughter. She's hot. Got a lot of stuff. You'll be given all these riches. And you'll be tax exempt. The IRS will never bother you. And David said, I'm in. I'm in. I'll take, I'll, take your, I'll, I'll take your giant. I'll take him down. Because David, because of what his focus was on, his relationship and his confidence in God, because he had a covenant, he did not see Goliath as anything but an opportunity for God to be what he promised Abraham a thousand years ago. Promised Abraham. He said, there's going to be a generation that comes from me and I'm going to stop the Philistines' generations. So we, as Jesus followers, as Christians, as people who have Christ living on the inside of us, you and I are no different than David or Abraham. We all have, if, if you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, Anybody who's done that, we all have an unseen circumcision of heart, of faith in God's covenant on the inside of us. It is a brand. It is a symbol that is expressed in love of the kingdom of God that we belong to. What does a brand do for a cattle rancher or for a horseman? What does a brand do? It shows where they belong. It shows that they belong. When we come, before we come into the kingdom of God, before we become Christians, we struggle with belonging somewhere. The world says you belong to us, but it don't care about us. It's when we come into the things of God that we become, a, uh, we, we become into, we come into a kingdom of belonging. That's what a brand does. It shows where we belong. But the thing about the circumcision of heart is nobody can see it until it's expressed in love. 
That's why miracle signs and wonders were happening in the New Testament church. And that's why they should happen here today. So these are difficult times that we're living in. These are difficult days. And there are going to be more difficult days ahead. But those difficult days, these end times, these things that are mysteries that we're walking into as Christians, these difficult days are opportunities. They're giant opportunities to take the head off of the giant through the love of God that's been poured out in our hearts is what Roman said. God has chosen you. God has chosen you to live in this day and time. I hear some of these old cowboys sometime talk about, I was just born in the wrong time. Not according to God. You were born at the right time. You were born in this day. You were born for this time. And you have made the cut. If you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you have made the cut. God trusts you with these end times. God trusts you with Goliath. God trusts you to walk through these things. Anytime we choose Jesus, you and I are making the cut. You choose Jesus for anything. Throughout your day, you choose Jesus for anything. You're making the cut. I mean, when somebody pulls out in front of you and then flips you a bird, make something. One preacher said, make Tabasco sauce run up the back of his legs. He gets hot. That reveals the fleshy part that we need to cut away and show some love. I know, I know some of y'all want to show the five-fold ministry to them. <laughs> but it's time to show them some love. Because your heart has a brand. And you've made the cut. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you for making uncomfortable things comfortable. I thank you for making things good and right. And Father, I just thank you so much for your son, Jesus. I thank you that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, for our sickness, for our uncomfortable times, for our circumstances, the days that we live in. Jesus, you died on the cross 2,000 years ago so that we could walk through these things and you helped by your obedience circumcise our heart to be in love with this world the same way you were. So Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much for your son, for what he did. And I pray that if there's anybody here under the sound of my voice or watching by Facebook or live, uh, the live broadcast or listening to a podcast, God, I pray that where they're at, if they've never made Jesus the Lord of their life, if they've never asked you to come into their life, God, I pray that they would do it now because if they do it now, they can face these uncertain times with the certainty of confidence that says that we are chosen and we have made the cut in our life. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus. And I pray that if anybody has never done that, that they would do that right now. Just say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. I say yes to you and I'll follow you anywhere, no matter what it looks like. 
thank you and I praise you for that in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for anyone that's sitting here under the sound of my voice that may have stepped away from the things of God for a time. Maybe you're not following Jesus the way that you said you would. That's, that's just proof. When you can walk away from the things of God and live your own life, that just proves there's a little bit of flesh there on your heart. And today, God wants to help you take that away and cut that away and step into a bigger place, step into a bigger opportunity, take the head off of a giant that is coming against you and defying God on the inside of you. Quit giving in to him. Quit jumping behind the bushes. Quit jumping in your Frady holes and say, Jesus, I want to say yes to you again today. Father, I thank you for these that are making the commitment again. We're saying yes to you again. God, I say yes to you again. Things happen as a pastor. Being a pastor does not give me a free pass, Father, to, to do whatever I want. But God, it's even more that I should see what needs to be cut away from my spirit, from my heart, to walk in a deeper love toward you. I thank you, Father, for all of us who are stepping in and today making the cut in Jesus' name. Amen.